this week as I was preparing, I was, I was thinking, I was considering if I were building a church uh, that the world would love, if I were to go to Houston or if I were to go to Atlanta or even if I were, were here in Vernon, and my goal, my mission was to, to build a church, start from the ground up and build a church that the world would love. If that were my goal, if the goal were to, to be the talk, if the goal were to be the thing, if the goal were to, to, to have the acclaim and the acceptance of the world, what would I do in building that church? Well, I thought about that. Here's what I would do. First, I would do this. I would make it as non-offensive as possible. I need all the people to come, and so I couldn't risk offending any of the people, and so I would stay away from any topic, anything that might offend anybody. So no way would this new church offend any person. I would try to make it as non-offensive as possible. Next, I would try to make it as entertaining as possible. Not about true worship, but as entertaining as possible, and I mean, I mean, entertaining the best, the best music. When you came in, you would think you were at a concert. The best band, the band that would make Van Halen jealous. Uh, I, I would have smoke machines running. I'd have screens and all the stuff up on the screens and slides and and the best videos, uh, the best jokes. You would come to that church and you would hear the best jokes. Uh, I, I would find a preacher that looked like a movie star, cuter than a bug's ear. I guess I'm out on that one. And I would make it as entertaining as possible. Oh, you would leave and you would talk about how entertaining it was. I would try to take up causes that everybody appreciates. We like to feel good. I would try to take up causes that everybody appreciates. Now, for sure, we wouldn't go door to door and try to proclaim the gospel but man, we would have clothing rooms and we'd have soup kitchens and we would, we would take up social justice causes and we would, we would dig water wells in Africa and we would, we would take pictures of kids. We would just have pictures of kids all over the place. And I would take up causes that everybody could get behind. I would try to find celebrities, and I mean the biggest celebrities, to endorse what was going on in the church. Maybe they'd be athletes, maybe they'd be singers or movie stars and it wouldn't matter what they believed or it wouldn't matter what their lives looked like, but I would get all the big celebrities and they would attest to how marvelous that church is. Here's a big one. I would try to make people feel as good about themselves as I could. I think that would be a big part of that church. I would make people feel as good about themselves as I could. That means I could not talk about sin or, or judgment or any of those things, but what I could say in that church is I could say, you are enough. I could say the answer is within yourself, and if we could get the, the stuff off of your life, the answer is going to spring up inside of yourself. I could come in that church and I could say, you know what, God exists to bless you. His purpose is, is to bless you and to serve you how awesome you are. His, his job is to favor you. I would preach a message that would say, oh, God is so lucky to have you. I think I would even call it You Are Awesome Church. That'd be the name, Route 2. You Are Awesome Church. Come see us Sunday at 10 o'clock. I would make the cost very low to participate. 
I'd make the commitment level very, very low to participate in the church. There would be actually no expectations, very few expectations to be a part of this church. Really, I would put it as low as this. If you'll just come on Sundays, in fact, that may be too much. If you'll just come on some of the Sunday mornings and you pick them, you pick the one where the service is gonna be about you and I'll let you know ahead of time and you come on that service and I for sure wouldn't tell people that you are needed in the church. You are necessary in the church. You're a part of the body in the church. I for sure wouldn't tell people the church is gonna suffer in your absence, that you have a stewardship to your church. I would make the cost of participation in that church very, very low. And those are some of the things I would do if that were the goal. If that were the goal, those are the things that I would do. But let me tell you today, that is not our goal. Our goal is to uphold the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ so that a lost and hurting and perishing world would be saved by the truth of Jesus Christ and all of it would point to the glory of Jesus Christ. That is our goal in the church. And so you say, well, what would that take? I want to tell you it'd be a little bit different than the first list. What, what would that take to, to have a church that their mission is to lead people into a saving faith in Jesus Christ? It would take a church that would be radically different from the world. It would take a church that, that would be observably different. They would look observably different from the world that they exist in. It would take a church not to compromise not to sell out. It would take a church that would say, right or wrong, we're gonna stand in this world and we're gonna stand and we're gonna be heralds of the light, the, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Today our message is entitled, The Decidedly Different Church. The Decidedly Different Church. Our sermon series that we're in is, it's still the church. We are moving through Jesus' seven messages to the churches there in the book of Revelation. Today we're in Revelation chapter 2, verses 18 through 29. Revelation chapter 2, verses 18 through 29. Again, the decidedly different church. I'm going to ask if you would, if you'd stand with me in the reverence and the honor of the reading of God's word. Revelation chapter 2, beginning in the 18th verse, Jesus is speaking here. Listen to the words of Jesus. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, the son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet are like burnished bronze says this, I know your deeds and your love and faith and service and perseverance and that your deeds of late are greater than at first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and she teaches and leads my bondservants astray so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, and she does not want to repent of her immorality. Behold, I will throw her on a bed of sickness and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of her deeds. And I will kill her children with pestilence, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your deeds. But I say to you, the rest who are in Thyatira, 
who do not hold this teaching, who have not known the deep things of Satan, as they call them, I place no other burden on you. Nevertheless, what you have, hold fast until I come. He who overcomes and he who keeps my deeds until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. And he shall rule with them with a rod of iron, as the vessels of the potter are broken to pieces, as I have received authority from my Father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come today, we are thankful for you. I'm thankful for such a great, magnificent, marvelous, powerful, all-knowing, all-wise creator God. I'm thankful. But I'm thankful that in your word you tell us you're kind and you're gracious and you're aware of even us as sinners. You tell us your eye sees the sparrow. I'm so thankful. We come today and I pray as your church that we would be instructed today. We would be taught today. I, I pray as your church that we would begin to, to increasingly be molded by the truth of your word and we would march forward. We would leave this place under the direction of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I pray the impact will be the spread of the gospel. I pray the impact will be homes and hearts and eternities that are eternally changed. And Lord, I pray the impact of you will be greatly glorified. Lord, I pray for some in this room that do not know you today. I pray that in the preaching of your word, in the presentation of your gospel, that today they would find you. They would place their faith in you. And I lay this before you. I ask that the hindrances be removed. I ask the ears will be open. And most of all, Lord, I ask that you would speak. And I trust that you will. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now let me start off this morning, and let me start by saying this, and I really want to, to encourage this. I really want to say this every single week when we start. I want to start by saying that this is, these are Jesus' instructions to his church. So we need to be very clear this morning. He is leading us through these messages. And my, my prayer in this series, my hope in this series, is that we as a church, we would get it. That, that we as a church, that we would grab onto it. And that we as, as Calvary Baptist Church, late in the summer of 2018, that we would be shaped to be the church that he's called us to be. You see, that's the potential of these messages that's the possibility of these messages. Jesus himself is teaching and, and Jesus is instructing. And if we as the church would but wake up and grab onto his truth and obey it and walk it out, we would be the church that he's called us to be. And so I say again as we move into these verses today, let's go. Here we go. Let us be that church. Let us go very quickly to the verses. There's a bunch here today. Verse 18, let me read it. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet are like burnished bronze says this. Verse starts off and it says to the angel. Remember the context of the messages. Jesus himself, Christ, is giving the message. He's giving it to the apostle John. He instructs the Apostle John to write it 
and to give it to the angels of the church. It is a symbolic word for the pastors of the local church. And so that's how the information is gonna be transferred. It is from Christ himself. It goes to the apostle John and he is to write it and he is to deliver it to the pastor of this local church. It says, and to the angel of the church in Thyatira. This church was another church that most likely came out of the influence of the church in Ephesus. Last week we learned that Pergamum was a church. It's not recorded much in Acts, uh, insinuations, but really we know that it comes out of the, the witness of the church in Ephesus. Well, this church, from the witness of the church in Ephesus, from the spread of the gospel in the church in Ephesus, this church also is established. Now, let me, let me say this today as, as we live in the culture that we're in. Listen, the goal today is not church planting. The goal today is to lead people to Jesus Christ and they exist as the church. And that's evidently what happened here. This church in Ephesus, they're consumed with the gospel. The good news goes out. And at least these two churches start from their influence as they lead people to Christ. The city of Thyatira was about 40 miles north of our city of last week, Pergamum. It was about 140 miles north of Ephesus. Now, it's an interesting tale of the city. The city started off really as a military outpost, and it was there to protect the city of Pergamum. Now, what that means is this. If somebody were to attack, and if they were to make their way south, they would come to Thyatira, the military outpost, and they would have to deal with them first before they could get to Pergamum. And so really, it's kind of like a bait car on one of those shows. Come here first and deal with them first, and, and we'll deal with you later. And so it starts as this military outpost. Well, after the start of the Roman rule, they had peace in the region. They no longer needed protection in the region. And so the city begins to change in its purpose. This city at that point becomes a major trade city. Now, because it was on that route, it was on the main north-south route, it became a very business-oriented city. It was known for the production of wool, and there was great wool trade there. They were known for the dyeing of wool products. Lydia comes from Thyatira. They were known for the, the dyeing of wool products. They were also known for their leather goods and the, the making and the sale of leather goods. They were also known for bronze and, and metal smithing, metal working. That was a trade there in the city. And then another trade on this city was the slave trade. As people passed up and down this north-south route, it became a major city for the slave trade. Well, at the time of the, the, the reception of this letter, we find it as a prosperous city. There is a lot going on in the city. The church at this time in the city is about 40 years old. And so we find Thyatira, it is a business-oriented city. It is a successful city. It is a growing city. And there is the church about 40 years old. Now, next in verse 18, we have another awesome description of Jesus. Now, I've said this every week. I believe the best part of all of these messages are the, is the fact that Jesus 
describes himself. And it's not John's description of Christ. It's Christ describing himself. What do we know of Christ? What does he want us to know of himself? It's tied to the message. Jesus describes himself. Now, we're going to come back to this uh, description later, but the best part is I believe this description of Christ himself. In verse 19, we now have the message to the church. Verse 19. I know your deeds and your love and faith and servants and perseverance and that your deeds of late are greater than at first. Jesus begins to speak the message to the angel going to the church. I know your deeds and your love and faith and service and perseverance and that your deeds of late are greater than at first. Jesus starts off and he says to this church, I know your deeds. It means I know your actions. I know your works. It literally translates, I know what it is that you have carried out. Now, can you imagine Christ Jesus saying to the church, I know what you've done. Can you imagine Jesus looks at the church, looks at Calvary Baptist Church and says, I know what you've done. I know what you've endeavored to do. I know what it is that you've carried out. Can you imagine us as individuals, pieces of the church that Jesus says, I see what you've done in the church. I see your involvement, your participation in the life of the church. I'm aware of it. Jesus is aware of his churches. And so he starts off and he says to this church, church, I know what you have done. And then he gives four things. He says your love. The Greek word is agape love. It is self-sacrificial love. It is a love for God. It's also a love for other folks. And so Jesus says, I know your love. That's a great thing. I know that you've sacrificed for one another. I know that you're sacrificing for the cause of Jesus Christ. And so he says, I know of your love. Then he says, your faith, your faithfulness. It literally translates your proof. He says, I know of your faith. I I see that that you obey and it's lived out. It's part of your faith. I, I see that you've walked it out. And so he says, I see your faith. I see your proof. You see, it's it's easy to talk one way, but it's something entirely different to live it out. And so Jesus says, you know what? I know what you've done. I see you in the church and I see that you're walking it out. I see that you're walking in obedience. I see your faith. He says, I see your service and service. It means acts of service, works of service. He says, I see that you've been busy in this and your your acts of service, I've noted them. And then he says, your perseverance and One of my favorite things, your perseverance, it it translates literally to remain under. They're under the yoke. They're under the burden, and they have remained under it. It is a patient enduring. And so Jesus says here, 40 years into the church, I've seen what you've endured, and I've seen the hardships that have come, and I've seen the struggle that it's been, and I've seen that you've stayed with it, that you've stayed under it. It would be easy to turn. It would be easy to return back. But he says, I see your perseverance that you have stayed under it. And so Jesus says, I've seen these things. He is aware of these things. Now, not only that, he says this. 
and that your deeds of late are greater than the first. Now, what he's saying here is, is I see that you're doing better. I see that in these areas, these four areas, you're, you're growing. I see in these areas that you're improving. That I see what you're doing now is better than what you were doing in the past. And I see growth in these areas, movement in these areas. Now, think about that for just a second. What an awesome thing for Jesus to tell you. Jesus comes and he says, you know, I've seen what you've done. I'm aware of what you've done. I see your love. I see your self-sacrifice. I see your faith. I see the proof of it. I see your service. I come and I see that you've persevered, that you, that you stay under it. And not only that, I see it's more this year than it was last year. And it was more last year than it was five years ago. And I see that you're growing in these things. What an excellent thing. What an awesome thing for Jesus to say. Then here it goes in verse 20. Listen to verse 20. But I have this against you, Jesus speaking, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and she teaches and leads my bondservants astray so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. Now, this is a huge verse. Jesus says, church, I see all of these great things. I see that you're growing in these great things, but I have this against you. Now, every time I read that, that has to strike fear in the hearer. Can you imagine Jesus himself saying, I, I see these good things, but I have this against you. I have this against you. I imagine they would, they would flush wide as they, as they read and they hear and oh, it's good and he's, he's bragging on us. But I have this against you that you tolerate the woman Jezebel. Now, this is using the name of the Old Testament wife of King Ahab. Most likely this was not her actual name. It's using that name and, and, and Jezebel in the Old Testament she led Israel into false worship. She led Israel into Baal worship. And so it says, this woman, Jezebel, you tolerate her. And it says, who calls herself a prophetess. Now, what that means is this. It's not a title that somebody in the church would hold. Well, they're a, they're a this. It is a, it is a, it is a marking pointing out that she is claiming to speak from God. And so it says she calls herself a prophetess. She is claiming to speak from God. And then as she teaches, she is leading my bondservants astray. And so you tolerate this woman Jezebel. She claims to speak from God and she is leading my bondservants astray so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. Now, there's, there's a lot to see. In fact, we won't even see all of it, but there's a lot to see here, and it's all very important, so I want to break it down here in the 20th verse. I want to go very slow through this verse. In this church, there was a woman, there is a woman who claimed to be a prophetess, who claimed to speak for God. Now, I want you to notice this. It says, 
who calls herself a prophetess. Now listen, who calls herself a prophetess. I want you to see this this morning. A false teacher, they are not promoted by God, so they have to promote themselves. Do you understand that? A false teacher, they haven't been promoted by God, and so they've got to promote themselves. God hasn't raised them up, and so they have to raise themselves up. Remember the story of Moses? God appointed him. God called him. He was reluctant, but God raised him up. Remember the story of of, of Joshua? God appointed him. God called him. He was reluctant, but God raised him up. Remember the story of Isaiah, and we could go on and on. God called him. God God put him in his place. He was reluctant, but God raised him up. Well, understand, these false teachers, God hasn't lifted them up, and so they've got to self-promote and lift themselves up. She is arrogant, and she calls herself a prophetess, a self-promoter. God says in his word, if you humble yourself, At the right time, in due time, he will exalt you. We find this lady, and the first thing that stands out is she's calling herself a spokesman for God, and she is exalting herself. She is self-promoting herself. Let me just say this. Watch today, and the same thing is true. Watch today, and it's the same thing. These folks come along, and maybe they're a female, maybe they're a male, but they come along, and they have to mark themselves. They have to promote themselves. God hadn't called them, and so they've got to do it, and they're self-promoters. That's what this woman was. Let me, let me say this. It is a, and we need to be sure of this, it is a serious, serious thing In fact, let me just tell you, it is a grave thing to claim to speak the word of God. Did you hear that? It is a grave thing to claim to speak the word of God. It is not a flippant thing. It's not some lighthearted thing. It's not, well, my regular job didn't pay off, and so I'll try and see how this goes. It's not, well, I like this platform and everybody's looking at me and so I'll seize this platform. Listen to me. God still calls and God still empowers gifted preachers and gifted teachers of his word, but it's this word that we're preaching and I want to tell you, it is no small thing, no light thing to claim to speak the word from God. Let me just tell you, I'd be very leery of somebody who treats it as such. We see it all the time. And so here's this woman. She is arrogant. And she calls herself a prophetess. And the Bible says, and she teaches and leads my bondservants astray. Very plainly, she's a false teacher. She's not teaching the truth. She is a liar. She is a teacher of falsehood. And the Bible says the fruit of that is she is leading Christ's bondservants astray. Now, I can't imagine the heaviness of this. Here she comes. She's a self-promoter. She's arrogant. She is a teacher of lies, and she is leading the bondservants, the people of Jesus Christ, astray. The word astray, the original language means to cause to wander. 
They, they were on the right path at one time, but now the false teachings entered in. They've wandered off the path. It means to leave the correct path. They were on the correct path. It lines up with the word of God, but now because of the false teaching, they have left the correct path. It means to march into error. See this. This false teacher, she is leading the people of Jesus astray. Man, I can't even imagine that. Can you imagine a a person so brazen, so bold, so audacious as to take the people of Jesus Christ and to lead them into error? Now, we're going to see Jesus' response to her in in a little bit. Can you imagine that? It says this. She leads them astray so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. Now, acts of immorality are really just acts of sexual perversion. Any sexual activity out of God's plan in the context of marriage, any sexual activity, sexual perversion, it comes from the original word that we get our word for pornography. She is leading those people into sexual sin. And then it says, and to eat Things sacrificed to idols. Now, the pagan worship, they would have all of these sacrifices. And they would take meat, and they would take food, and they might take grain, and they would sacrifice it to these false gods. Well, the false gods, because they were false, they wouldn't consume it. And so we kill a calf, we, we offer it at the altar to some pagan god, but at the end of the day, it's still there. It wasn't consumed. And so they would take this meat and they would disperse it and maybe they would take it back or maybe they would sell it and they would eat it. And that's what it's talking about here now. Paul says that act is not a sin. But what is a sin is that somebody sees the pagan worship, they see the false worship, They see the food that was a part of the pagan worship. They see the food that's tied to the pagan worship. And then they see the Christian with that food. And maybe they see it as an individual. Maybe they see it in their home. And so when they see the pagan worship and they see the food offered to the idols and then they see the Christian with the pagan food, they see that as an approval of the pagan way. They see that as a mixing of the pagan pagan ways. So they say, you know what? The Christian has the food that was offered to the idol, and so maybe the idol's okay as well. Simply, it ruins their Christian witness. Now, Paul says this. If nobody sees it like that, then it's just like any other food. And that's what he says. If nobody understands it that way, it's just like any other food. Go ahead and eat it. It's not a sin. But Paul says, but most likely in this world, they will see it like that. And they're going to see it as an acceptance of the pagan ways. And so Paul says, if you read it in, in, in his writing, he says, you know what? If the meat offends somebody, if the meat would ever to lead somebody astray, if the meat were to har, har, harm the, the cause of Jesus Christ, Paul says this, I can eat all the meat. It's all legal to me, but I will never eat meat again. Listen to me today. When we mix into the things of the lost culture, 
when we participate in the things of the lost culture, we might say, you know what, for me it's not a sin. You know what, I can do what I want to do. But when we go and we drag those things of the lost culture and we participate in them or we stand silently in them, we put a stamp on them and we hurt the validity of the gospel of Jesus Christ and that is a sin. Well, you know what, I've got freedom. I can do what I want to. Listen, brother, if you hurt the witness of the gospel, it is a sin. Sexual immorality. The pagans practiced it in their worship, actually at their temples. The pagans approved of it. The lost people, they approved of it. There were all sorts of perversion to it prostitution, homosexuality, adultery. You know what? You're not confined to your marriage. Adultery, free sex with whoever person, whichever person, you just come and go as you want. And they, they had approved this system. Well, in a misapplied understanding of grace, these folks, and it was the last church as well, they were saying, you know what? Because of grace, you can do what you want to do. Because of grace, God's going to forgive you in that. Or the, the teaching of the Gnostics. The Gnostics came in and said, you know what, the physical body is separate from the spiritual body and you can do whatever you want in the physical body and the grace of God frees it from harming the spiritual body. And so they'd say, do what you want to do. It's your body, do that. God's grace is going to cover your spiritual condition. And so they were teaching that it's okay. And these vile acts had entered into the Christian church. Sleep with who you want to. Cheat on your spouse if you want to. Do what you want to do. Look at what you want to look like. Those practices had crept into the church and it was approved in the church. You know what? It's not going to hurt your spiritual condition. And so these things had entered into the Christian church and then see what really happens. The sins of the world due to the false teaching become accepted in the church. And then because they are accepted in the church, they become practiced in the church. Be very sure of this. Listen very carefully. False teaching will always result in false practice. Do you understand that? False teaching, if you're receiving and hearing and taking in false teaching, it always will end up with false practice. People today say, why does it matter? Why does it matter if we hold the line? Why does it matter if we have to be so tough in this stance? Wouldn't it be better just to let it go? Listen, false teaching will always result in false practice. Let me put it like this. This shameless false teacher, she had led the church of Jesus Christ, the church that he bought, the church that he died for, the church that he himself had established. She had led the church that he had called to be holy, the church that he had called to be different, the church that he had called to be distinctive, she had come in and she had taught falsely and she had led this church to be just like the world they lived in. And they followed her. Now I want you to see this. Those things were sins. They were sins. They were vile sins. They were gross sins. Those things were sins but they weren't the sin that Jesus was talking about. They weren't the sin that Jesus was confronting. Watch this. He says, 
I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel. Those were vile sins. Those were nasty sins. Those were sins that can never stand. Those were the sins he was confronting. He says, the sin I'm confronting is this. I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel. The sin of the church, this church, was that they tolerate the woman Jezebel. To tolerate means to let alone, to permit, and the most literal, to overlook. Jesus says, church, you overlook the woman Jezebel. Church, you tolerate the sin of the woman Jezebel. Your your sin is the tolerance of this woman. Jesus says, you're tolerating it, and I can't stand it. That is your sin. That is what I have against you. Today in 2018, our culture, our world has promoted a system today, has promoted an ideology today where tolerance is the greatest virtue. I don't know if you know that, but today we're living in, listen, tolerance today is the greatest virtue. We are told the pressure is put on us Our kids are raised believing that that tolerance is the greatest virtue, not character, not integrity, not honesty, not work ethic, but tolerance is the greatest virtue. Today we're told that the greatest thing that we could ever do is not to offend anybody. And if we're going to have a great society, we don't want to offend anybody. And if we're going to be the people we ought to be, we can never offend anybody. And the greatest virtue today is tolerance. What about a man of character, of integrity? No, tolerance. We don't want to ever offend anybody. And to never offend anybody, we've decided to overlook everybody, to tolerate everything. And tolerance is promoted as the key to a perfect society. Today, some person, and I'll just go ahead and call him a nut job, some creep of a man can say that I self-identify as a woman and everybody has to say that's okay. Our kids are going to be trained that that's what they have to approve of. Who are you to judge them? And some some creep of a kook can say, you know what, I self-identify as a woman. It doesn't matter what the chromosomes say. We have to say, well, you know what, that's going to be Okay. In the name of tolerance today, we have, to, we have to let it go. In the name of tolerance today, Target says, you can walk in the woman's bathroom, that's gonna be fine. In the name of tolerance today, Bruce Jenner's given the title Woman of the Year. Listen, he's not a woman, he's a man and a freak at that. Tolerance is gonna be our downfall. Friends, listen to me. This sounds pretty hard, it is. It sounds pretty tough, but here's the point. Here's the truth. Listen, church. If our standard is going to be tolerance, if our goal is going to be tolerance, we're going to miss the truth. And that's the reality of it. If the goal is tolerance, if the goal is never to offend anybody, if the goal today, if the standard is tolerance, we're going to miss the truth. And listen, in the church, truth Trumps everything. 
Truth trumps everything. You see, it is the truth that is Jesus Christ. He says he is the truth. It is the truth that leads to salvation and a deviation from the truth leads you to hell. It is the truth that brings the forgiveness, the redemption of our souls, the payment for our sin. And in the church, truth trumps everything. We're not gonna get done today. Yeah, it's two verses in, isn't it? Let me say this. I wouldn't miss next week. I wouldn't miss next week. Best part is going to be next week. I promise you the best part is going to be next week. But here's the point to this week. Listen. As Christians, we are not like the world. As Christians, we cannot look like the world. Oh, I know that temptation is heavy. As Christians, we cannot look like the world. We can't go and we can't do and we can't participate and we can't drag the crummy things of the world into our lives. We can't seek to appease the world. That's the truth of it. And so no matter what the world says, no matter what the world values today, we have to be intolerant in the Christian church today. Listen, we have to be intolerant. When the world comes along and says marriage is what we make it, marriage is how we define it, we have to say, oh no, I've got to be intolerant. We define it as God has defined it. When the world says, you know what, the answer is within yourself, the, the hope that you have is within yourself. We have to say, oh no, I have to be intolerant. The answer is not in me. The answer is not in you. My hope is in a savior. I need a savior. I have to be intolerant. When the world comes along and says there's no right and there's no wrong. How you live is subjective to you. Listen, that's the teaching of our day. When the world comes along and says there's no right and there's no wrong and, and how you live is subjective to you, we have to say, oh, no, I've got to be intolerant. This is the word of God. This is the speech of our creator and it tells us in there that right is always right and it's always right and wrong is wrong and it's always wrong and we can choose to ignore it but it'll be to our peril because sin always leads to death. Oh, we've got to be intolerant. And the world comes along and says there's more than one way to be saved. And they come along and say, you know what the, the smart thing is, the, the, the politically correct thing is to say all paths are leading to the same place. All roads are going to the same place. We have to say, you know what, I have to be intolerant. Jesus is the only name by which we're saved. Jesus is the only door by which we'll ever enter. Jesus is the only way. And the other way will lead you to hell. I'm sorry, I have to be intolerant. When the world comes and says that this is tomfoolery, that this is ignorant, that this is superstition, when the world comes and says no man has ever died and is alive again, when the world says there's no resurrection from the dead, when the world says just like this false hope, your faith is dead and your hope is dead, we have to say, oh no, my Savior lives and yes, he died, but as he died yet today, he lives and because he lives, I'm saved. Because he lives, I have hope and I have to be intolerant. It is not love to be tolerant. 
It is love to point to Jesus. It is not love to be silent. It is love to shout. There's hope alone in Jesus. And the church that's ever going to be right, the church that's ever going to exist in the plan of a holy God, will commit with all they are to saying, we put our faith, our hope, our trust in Jesus alone. See, that's how we're saved. That's how we're shed of our guilt, the stain of our sins. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the good news. And Satan has come and he's trampled that out of us. And Satan has come and said, you know what, you might find another route, but you know what, the, the hurt and the pain's still on top of us. And Satan comes and says, you know what, there's a light, but you know what, it's a false light. It's not the true light. The good news of the gospel is this, God loves you. God has forgiven you in the cross of Calvary. He says, if you'll confess your sin, he'll forgive you of them. He says, if you'll confess him as Lord, you will be saved, eternity secured. And that's the good news of the gospel. Maybe you're here today and you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something, friend. The hope still stands. Maybe you're here and you've never understood it and you said, I don't understand why it matters. Listen, it's the only hope, it's the only way. His grace is still offered. His hope still stands. In just a moment, we're going to close with the time of invitation. And if God has spoken to you, if he's speaking to you, if you would come and say, today, you know what? I, I surrender it all, and I call him my Lord and my Savior. I confess I'm a sinner. My hope is in a Savior provided through my Savior, Jesus. You come today, and we'll settle that. You come, let's settle. If you need more information, you come, let's settle it. The good news still stands. Jesus is our hope. Let's pray. Dear Father, we come today. I'm thankful for the truth of your word. I'm thankful for a very plain message that you give us. The sin was vile and gross, those other things, but the main sin was tolerating. False teaching that would lead us to false practice that would lead us away from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, I, I pray for some in this room today that need hope. I pray for some today that are burdened in their souls. They're, 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 they're pushed down in the weight of their sin, the condemnation, the guilt of their sin. That they would understand there's forgiveness alone in you. There's hope alone in you. I pray that today they would put their faith in you. Lord, stir in their heart. Lord, I pray for us as a church. I pray we wouldn't be so calloused that we could hear this truth and not show up for I-4 and not show up for Monday night and not tell our co-workers, not tell our family members, not spread the good news of the hope of Jesus Christ. Lord, don't let us be so calloused. Lord, I pray that this would, this would spring up in a movement that would point to you, that the gospel would go out, that many would be saved. Help us in that. Change us in that. Empower us in that. Lord, we come and I pray that you've been glorified. I pray in this time of invitation now that you freely move. I submit this to you. And I trust you and I love you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen.